Two executive orders from the last eight months are driving some big policy discussions inside the Biden administration. One focuses on advancing equity in underserved communities with government services. Another looks at diversity and inclusion inside the federal workforce. One initiative can't succeed without the other, and the administration says agencies ultimately won't improve customer service without focusing on diversity and equity internally and inside the federal workforce and externally with the government services they provide to the public. Federal News Network's Nicole Agrisco has more. The Biden administration is simultaneously pursuing a pair of initiatives, a drive to inform diversity and inclusion inside the federal workforce and embed principles of equity in the external government services agencies provide to the public. The two initiatives go hand in hand, and that's by design. Claire Martirana is the federal chief information officer. Focusing on the workforce, right? Making sure that we are recruiting people from across the country, from all different walks of life, is an actual critical step in designing good customer experience. So an example that I might give is in looking at veterans, a population of veterans, they represent every corner of the United States, come from all walks of life with different levels of education, different levels of life experience, and having to serve that population, the employee base at VA very well represents the customer base at VA. Many employees at VA are veterans. I think over 30% of our federal workforce are veterans. And so we are focused on making sure that we have a diverse workforce, an equitable workforce, an inclusive workforce, and also the nerd in me will continue to focus every single day on accessibility. One of the executive orders the president signed on his first day in office kickstarted the whole effort. The order tells agencies to assess the state of equity within their organizations, operations, and external facing public services. Those assessments are done. Now, agencies are working on the action planning part. They have until January to detail their plans for improving the equity of the services they provide to the public, especially those with high impact. The second executive order came in June, and like the first one, it tells agencies to assess the state of diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility, but within their own workforces. Kimberlyn Leary is a senior equity fellow at the Office of Management and Budget and a senior vice president at the Urban Institute. She's on detail to OMB through the Intergovernmental Personnel Act, and she's helping agencies implement the external equity EO. So one way I've been talking about this, both with agencies and with others, is to think about these EOs together as helping us to develop greater muscle memory. So that if you start thinking about equity in a service delivery context, and then another EO comes along and asks you to think about hiring and retention, you already have some skills, framework, and language that will augment this other work stream now on workforce that you've been asked to take up. And likewise, the work that's being done on workforce and reshaping hiring and retention and and other kinds of internal processes can only help augment how we think about service, who counts as a stakeholder, whose voice gets included in the conversation. So far, agencies are learning a few things as they assess the state of equity within their organizations and plan for the executive order. 
One big lesson is that agencies could use some work in how they interact with the public and other stakeholders. OMB issued a request for information earlier this year, and it asked the public for recommendations on how agencies could advance equity in procurement and contracting, grant making, and their interactions with communities and stakeholders. The RFI generated over 500 responses. Shabia Dalal is a senior equity fellow, also on detail with OMB. We saw a big focus on you know, conducting meaningful and long-term community engagement, which, meant, which means engaging in actions like making sure that community members, especially those who have lived experience, are brought into the process from the very early stages of program discussion, design, and have a seat and a voice at, any, at every decision-making process. Agencies should also be thinking about establishing advisory boards, commissions, and task forces that are inclusive of those community members with lived experience and also compensate them for their time and their expertise. And then to the extent possible, evaluating how things like needs assessments and participatory budgeting processes, where they're feasible, can be used to ensure that communities can collectively indicate how resources should be spent and directed. Dalal says agencies also need better ways to collect data about who's using their services and set up additional channels for the public to submit their feedback. That's a big job, and it's going to take leaders who are willing to prioritize and apply an equity lens on every decision they make. Here's Dalal. This is a long and iterative journey, and that it will, you know, failures will happen, snapbacks will happen, and it's important not to be discouraged by that, and just know that this will not change overnight. Equity is also everyone's job. Every single person in this room, I can guarantee you, has something that they can do in their roles to advance equity. It's not just on HR, and it's not just on the chief diversity officer, which is a very common misconception when it comes to advancing equity and inclusion. The administration is also embedding equity principles into its customer experience work and employee experience initiatives. For the Office of Personnel Management, federal employees and retirees are their customers. The agency is interested in the quality and performance of employees' work and their well-being on the job. It's why OPM is looking at the employee journey, from the time someone starts thinking about a job in the federal government to the time they begin the retirement process. Peter Bonner is the Associate Director of HR Solutions at OPM. We at OPM are looking at, for example, the hiring process, and is that consistent with diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility principles. We're looking at retirement services. We're looking at health and insurance. We're looking at all the aspects in which we provide those services to to federal employees. The diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility, and customer and employee experience initiatives all meld together and inform one another. Tackling them, though, is a tough job for many agencies, where change isn't always the easiest to manage or find. Here's Bonner. The degree of culture change called for when we look at the intersection of customer experience, employee experience, the future of work, DEI and A, are significant. It's called for change from our leaders and managers, employees, contractors at every level. We'll need to build these diverse, inclusive, equitable, and accessible cultures and work environments in order to get the best out of hybrid work arrangements that are coming down the pike and all of the technological and social impacts that our work face. So so that culture change is, is a real challenge for us as we look to the future. Nicole Grisco, Federal News Network. And you can find Nicole's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. 
Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Uh, And then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, It's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was 
it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From Sea to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they gonna say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect, thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the US Navy standpoint, 
we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.